Colossians. And Colossians chapter 1, we'll read 15 to 23, I believe it is. The words are on the screen. Talking about Jesus, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. right next slide please or first slide please so this is as i promised last week a repeat sermon on reconciliation you'll find it's actually very different for a repeat sermon the topic is the same the theme is the same and just to keep you going next week brady's going to do the same sermon but in his voice from a different passage with a whole lot of different words we're just trying to embed ourselves in this idea of reconciliation And we're doing that because, really, um, as Ruthann pointed out, when we do confession and assurance, that's a pattern that we have in worship. And there's a book out there which Jolene likes that talks about the liturgy of life, liturgy of the ordinary, I believe it's called, right? In which the regular patterns of your life are your liturgy, they're your worship of God. So the way you do things actually celebrates and repeats over and over again your dedication to God, your worship of God, your relationship with Him. And so we are just simply hoping to immerse ourselves in the next little while in the idea that reconciliation is the pattern, is a part of the pattern of how we live as followers of Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. I told you last week, and I'll keep this up here a few more times, that the thing we're trying to learn about this whole year is how to have real conversations, real honest conversations, and still hold on to the other person. How do we express ourselves with truth and vulnerability and still hang on to um, the relationship that we have with with the person, all right? Next slide. Jesus is amaze beans. So when you repeat a theme, you've got to find new ways of saying that. And I don't know if anyone's ever used amaze beans. All I know is that word was somehow in my head, so I put it up there. And this is what we're going to do. I need each of you to think of what was the word for cool when you were growing up, or as you are growing up, if you're still growing up, which is all of us, I guess. So was it cool? Was it hip? Ruthann and I had mint way back in our day, and our kids thought that was hilarious. Gnarly, hip, dece. I can think of lots of them. Turn to the person beside you, because they might even be family. And if they're not family, tell them anyways. What was your word for cool when you were growing up? Anyone want to 
want to share the best one you heard? Radical, yeah, I remember that one. Excellent. So for me, it's Jesus is amazed beans. For you, it's Jesus is radical, cool, whatever else you said. That's just helping you own this idea because this, we started the service with a praise of Jesus song. And I'm going to lead you through a whole bunch of ways that Jesus is just absolutely amazing. And if I just say absolutely amazing, going, yeah, I've heard that from preachers over and over again. He's amazed beans. All right. Next slide. First, he's an awesome human being. Never forget that Jesus was fully 100% human. And when you read him, meet him in the Gospels, he is the most amazing human being. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Right? We are also image bearers of the invisible God. But the Son is the image of the invisible God. So when Jesus walked on earth, he was showing us the best way to be human. Right? Sometimes we reduce the Gospel to Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Then I want to ask you, well, what's the rest of the gospel about? Why do we have to hear about his whole life if all he did that's of importance is die for us? Jesus showed us how to be amazing human beings. Amazed beings? Yeah, that fits. Amazing human beings in this world. And so everything he does, he taught us so that we could say, I'm going to be his disciple. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to imitate him because he is the son of of God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Next slide, please. Second amazing thing about Jesus is he's the connected creator. So he was indeed a human being, but he was also there at creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. So this human being who walked among us 2,000 years ago, I know you've heard this, but sit in it again because it's that amazing. This person who walked among us about 2,000 years ago was also there at creation. And as it says here, all things were created in him. Next slide, please. This is where we get an assignment. First word here is all kids. Find Colossians 1, because that's what I'm reading here. And verses 15 through 20 has the word all in it a lot. So parents, you might need to help them find Colossians if they don't know how. Otherwise, you know, use the table of contents. Find Colossians. Find chapter 1. Find verse 15. And the next five verses count how many times the word all shows up. Pull that in your mind, and I'll ask you in a little while how many it is. Parents, if you're not playing along with that, adults, if you're not playing along with that, guess how many. Don't say it out loud yet. Okay. So, this is the same verse. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. So that's above and below and around us, everything you can see. And then visible and invisible. God created the invisible things, and it's really quite amazing how much of our world is invisible to us. And in this piece, too, in Christ, things like thrones and powers and rulers and authorities were created. And that's a bit of a tough one for us, right? Because along with celebrating the Queen, as we should for all of her longevity, we're also aware that she's a symbol of colonialism, and that's not necessarily such a good thing. Okay, it's definitely not a good thing, right? There are rulers that might even be in our country that we didn't vote for and we don't like them but they're also created by god and there's whole systems in other countries that we think are horrible but god somehow created all of those powers and all the stuff that's interacting with each other in this world as part of god's creation and we at least have to pause and think about that and accept that that It's not just the stuff that God created and said, you guys figure out all the systems. 
God created the whole process and reality that we live in here in this world. All of that stuff. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So um, I told you about my Bible study at Evergreen Terrace. Jolene came, by the way. None of the rest of you did, but Jolene came. Kidding, it's okay. And um, I was talking about Genesis chapter 1 and about creation. And we were talking about God creating there. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know God was there. And it says, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters, so the Spirit was there. And then I made this, and one of you actually said to me, one of you who's a regular attender there said to me, I don't know, that's a bit of a stretch. So this is a bit of a stretch. Was Jesus at creation? We know he was, because John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And Paul here says the same thing. All things were created through him. So we're told he was there. And this is the best evidence I have. And apparently it's a stretch. So, And God said, let there be light. And God said, starts every single day. And God said is the word. The word was there in the beginning. And that word in this amazing poem of creation, that spoken word is Christ. And so that as that word comes out of God's mouth, whatever he was saying comes into being, and somehow in all of that stuff is Christ, right? And this is, I'm not going to be able to explain this to you in a way that you go, oh yeah, that's simple, I get that now, because this is that amazing and huge that somehow in everything that is here, God is present there, Jesus is present there, the Spirit is present there, he's got his hand infiltrating all kinds of stuff that's going on all around us and through us even thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. So, if Paul's intention in writing to the Colossians was to fight pantheism or panentheism, pantheism is that God is everything, panentheism is that God is in everything, he's doing a horrible job. Because this sounds like pantheism and panentheism, pan, whatever that other word is, right? But he's not fighting those things. And that's important to understand, by the way. We need to know who an author is talking to in order to understand what he's saying, right? Paul's also not talking to Jehovah's Witnesses in this passage, by the way, right? We can use it in that conversation. That's not his audience. They didn't exist yet at that point. He's talking to people who were Gnostics. And Gnostics thought that there's some of us who know stuff, and then there's special people, and they have the secret, right? And so he's pointing to Jesus as this amazing person who had all things created in him to go, there is no extra secret above this. Jesus has it all inside of him. And when you know Jesus and you relate to Jesus, you get the whole world. There's not those special people who know it all and us who don't. In Jesus, you receive the whole kind of package deal. Next slide, please. More about how amazing Jesus is. Outside and inside, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He was there before it all started, and the whole system connects with him, right? He's everywhere. Again, next slide, please. He's the leader and the starter. He's the head of the body, the church, right? So he's our head. You want to talk about headship in the church? It's Jesus. And he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So he started this process called resurrection, where that which is dead in this world comes back to life in a new form. And I, I said that last week, that that pattern of putting to death that which is broken and wrong and evil and twisted and bringing to life that which is true and reconciled and whole 
That's the pattern of following Jesus. He started it, and he calls us to follow him in that. He's the first one from, from among the dead, so that in everything, in everything, he might have the supremacy. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Right? And as much as I'm sure no one's going to come and argue with me about those words, assuming you're a follower of Jesus, we need to keep saying that, worshiping with those words, sitting in that reality, because the other voice that seems to want to come out of us all the time is it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. Right? How do we, in everything that we do, make it about Jesus? How do we give him the supremacy? How do we allow him to be Lord of each decision that we make? How do we as a collective community make sure that what this is about is not that we have a good time when we're gathered, but that God is worshipped even as we have a good time as we worship, right? He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Next slide, please. In the fifth way, he's amazing. He's fully God. We started with his full humanity. He's also fully God. Again, um, theology never has good math in it. Right? You can't be 100% one thing and 100% the other. You can't be 100% male and 100% female at the same time. Right? You can't be 100% black and 100% white at the same time. These things don't work in our world. But God is, or Jesus is, fully God and fully human. And we've got to deal with the messiness of following that. Right? And when you're reading the Gospels, you're always doing, did Jesus do that because he's God and so he's way above us? He can do that no problem. Or did Jesus do that as a human being because he's just like us and he's showing us the way? And the answer is yes. And we have to process that, and we have to work through that. And it gives us plenty of opportunity to practice reconciliation because you take five different Christians and you put them in a room on a tough passage, and you'll get at least four different ways of understanding what exactly is going on there. We need to be about the fact that all of these things are held together in Jesus, even if we have different ways of understanding them. That's what this reconciliation journey is about. God is pleased have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Next slide, please. Then the punchline and the purpose. So we spent four verses. Wait, we should pause here. How many times is all in those verses? Between five and seven, if it's in the Bible, or six. Five, six, or seven, it's in the Bible. Which one is it probably going to be? Seven. Yes, it is. I counted seven, so maybe I sent you on a and Paul was a Jewish rabbi, converted to following Christ, knew his Old Testament really well. He did know Revelation because it probably wasn't written yet. But he would know that if he's going to go on and on and on like I just did about how great Jesus is, and he's going to use one word, all, to regularly punctuate that story, he better come up with seven. Right? That's the only reason I wanted to point, you out, point that out to you. And to keep your kids busy, so thank you for participating in that. Did anybody guess seven before we went on that journey? Good of you not to show off how proud you are of yourselves. Thank you. Purpose and punchline. And through Jesus, so all of this great stuff about Jesus, all of these alls about Jesus come down to this. So God had his fullness in Jesus so that through him he would reconcile, there's our word, to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The point of Jesus' existence and world and this world and all that God is doing 
is to bring things back into harmony and into peace such that every time you experience in your life things that are separating you, things that are disharmonious, things that are broken, pause and wonder, that can't be the plan. Jesus is about reconciliation. He's about healing. He's about restoration. He's about peace. Next slide, please. Stand in your status. I have been emphasizing in the year and a half or so that I've been here that you are in Christ, right? And it comes down to this again. Once you were alienated from God, but now he has reconciled you. That's the refrain of the Bible. Once you lived in all the brokenness and you were stuck in all those things, but because of Christ, you've been reconciled. And we need to sit in and again, remind ourselves and hang on to that identity that we are in Christ. Our ID is in Christ, that we belong to him. And so we're part of that reconciliation. And every time we say this, we have to pause and think because all of us can quickly come up with, yeah, but there's things in my life that aren't fully reconciled yet, so how does that work? And for a lot of us, that makes us feel guilty and distant from God, when really that's just our reality where God is saying, look, in Christ you're reconciled, and since that's true, hang on to that. We'll get to this a little bit more in a minute. Next slide. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So again, that's the sacrifice on the cross, the center of the story. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And those details are important. The blemish, so in the Old Testament, there was the sacrificial lamb, and you had to choose a lamb that was without blemish. You didn't take your lousy little lamb that you thought, I can't, that lamb's almost dead anyways, I'm going to sacrifice that one. You took the best one. This is where we get our first fruits principle from, right? This is why we suggest to you, if you're going to give to the church a sacrifice of financial support, you do that right at the top of your paycheck, right? Don't wait and see if you got something left over, right? God says, I got you. I'll take care of you. Trust me. And the best way to experience that trust is to say, the first 10% of everything you get isn't yours anyways. Just give it back. Give it away. Give it to God's purpose. And when you do that, that's your unblemished, right? If you wait till you got, you know, that ripped dollar bill still in your pocket, you think, oh yeah, I could probably give that, right? That's a blemished gift. God says, I've given my unblemished gift just to show you the best way to trust me is to give your unblemished gift. And then free from accusation. I think it was last week we talked a bit about a clear conscience, right? What Jesus does is he wants to clear us so that we feel so comfortable with ourselves. This is the ideal that we're so comfortable with ourselves that even when we mess something up, we have no problem going to the person and saying, I did it, I'm sorry, and expecting that there's going to be healing and reconciliation and restoration in that relationship. That's our identity. That's how we are presented. That's how Christ wants to see us in action and trust that we can get there. We can do this. We can become a community of reconciliation. Next slide. And then stay the course. If, we're going to have to lean into that word if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, if is a very small word, yet a very important word, and we can interpret it in a couple of ways. I think a lot of times what we do is we say, if you are a good enough Christian, it says if you continue your faith, but we say if you're a good enough Christian, if you believe properly and show up often enough and do enough different things, if you continue in your faith that way, then you'll have this. And so again, that little sense of guilt and lack of identity in Christ 
creeps in. But what if it's this? Try this on. What if Paul's saying, if you continue in your faith, which he taught us elsewhere, is the gift from God, which he implants into us, established and firm. If you continue firm in your conviction that you're a child of God, not if you work hard enough to be a child of God, but if you just hang on to that conviction that God loves me so much that he forgave me, he set me free. If you continue in that established and firm faith and hang on to hope, and what is hope? Hope's that anchor that says, I'm going to be there with Christ fully in the end. I know how the story ends. The story ends with me with Christ. If you hang on to that identity and that conviction and that faith, then the reconciliation will start to take place. Because I think it works like this. If I know that no matter what, I'm going to win a race, and this never happens anymore, by the way. So if I'm convinced that I'm going to run the race, I'm going to jog along going, I got this. I got this. I remember playing, oh, I got a great illustration of this. I used to play mini sticks with my son, Ben. Note before we start, I'm a very competitive person. Now you know where this is going. So my son, Ben, he's now, my son, Ben, we're playing mini sticks, and I knew I could win. Right? I will confess after I tell this story, by the way. And I know I can win, so I would let him even get up like 9-1 sometimes, and then start really trying. My son says, said this, Dad, I learned how to be a good loser from you. So I have that. And the rest I want to confess, that I was a horrible dad because I was way too competitive in that area. But if I know I can win, I can do whatever I want along the way. And when I do something wrong, I don't have to get like, oh, no, I'm no longer able to play mini sticks. I know I can pick this up. I can carry on. Right? Might not be the ultimate example because I don't want you to do that with your children just because I did. But recognize... That in your relationship with Christ, the end has already been secured because Christ is guaranteed that. Your journey is to say, I trust that. I'm going to be with him. I can work on I can be vulnerable about I can share stories about how messed up I am along the way. Because I know even as I do that, Christ is going to reconcile and heal and forgive and bring me back into that closer relationship. Again, our calling collectively then is to trust this enough to step into it and practice these conversations of healing and restoration with each other. Next slide, please. It's out there. Live into it. Because Paul ends with this. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Huh. Paul, in the first century, not that long after Jesus ascended to heaven, is telling that everyone's already heard the gospel. And there's other places in the Bible where it says Jesus will return when everyone's heard the gospel. The Bible does that sometimes. There's different contexts, different stories, and so it looks like a contradiction, but there's just two different pieces of things going on here, right? Paul's leaning into probably what he said in Romans 1 that, you know, if you live in this world, you have no excuse but to believe that there's a God because everything about this world just shouts there's got to be that amazing creator, right? It's a poem. It's a celebration. It's a praise of God, the whole creation. So this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul, have become a servant. So it's not that we have to produce this gospel or make this thing happen. It's not our job to come up with an idea of reconciliation. Our job is to go, Christ has already accomplished this. I trust that. I'm going to receive that for myself and step into it 
in faith. And I just want to end by repeating what I said last week. The idea is pretty common to Christianity. This is not a radical teaching. The challenge is learning to lean into practicing this and doing this. Right? When, when I was sitting there a half hour ago or so in this service, this strikes me. I'm about to go up here and teach you about reconciliation and love. And all kinds of horrible words come through my head. And I think, oh man, I'm not worthy to go stand there and tell you how to do reconciliation because I got all my own stuff going around in my head. And I remind myself about what I'm about to say. It's not about whether or not I can do this well enough. It's about do I trust that Jesus will continue to heal me as I confess, as I share, as I'm honest, as I'm vulnerable, will he continue to bring me on that road towards more strength, more healing, and more reconciliation? That's the journey we're on. Let's step out in faith and do these things with each other. Let's pray. So Jesus Christ, as your gathered people, you've put a call in our lives. You've shown yourself to be so incredible and amazing and beautiful and true. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we celebrate what you have done, we'd also find a way to enter in and follow you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us the freedom to be honest, true, vulnerable, free, and to receive also in response your love, your blessing, your forgiveness, and your healing touch. All these things we pray in your holy name. Amen.